This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and social media are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or corrections of errors. Hi, everybody. I'm Tara. And I'm Melissa. And this is Nothing, Nothing Happens, Happens in a, a Small Town. Town. So we took a little hiatus for, um, well, life. life. Yeah, life just kind of interrupted in a yeah. few different ways. <laughs> I had a crazy beeping sound in my garage that we couldn't figure out what the heck was going on. And we do our <laughs> recording here, so that was kind of a nope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it just, I don't know, it, life happened and, you know. So here we are again. It's um, Jeez, a few it weeks. Been like a month almost? I think so. It's, pretty close. it's been too long. Because both of us had small vacations that we were ready to like move around. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing just kind of compounded everything. So the two of us have done some uh, thoughts about what we can do to make sure we don't do this long of a hiatus again. <laughs> so we're not promising a darn thing because right. life does happen. But. We have a plan. We have a plan. We're going to try and be more consistent. Hopefully putting out every two weeks is still the plan because, you know, again, life, we've, we both, you know, I'm, I'm writing novels and, and doing um, work, of course. And And I'm leading a team at my day job. So, and for a while there, I was like, it and trying to train up my two awesome new deputies. So things are uh, looking up. We've gotten the vacations out of the way. Yes. Not, that, not to say that we're <laughs> never taking vacation again. Love vacation. But this is a passion project. And we both totally are big into reading about murder mysteries. Yes. And we're very interested in not just murder, but other, you know, hey, somebody went missing. Or there's just yes. some other strange thing. Creepy, strange, fun. Well, fun and interesting to us. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't, I, I say, I mean, like this case that we're talking about today, I had a ton of fun researching. And I mean, it was just, it, this case is from 1905. So it was fascinating to just read all these old newspaper articles. Oh, yeah. and, and then also trying to decipher some of, I mean, I know cursive. I learned cursive in school. So did you. We're <laughs> yes. in our 40s. Yes. But reading some of the old stuff, I was just like, holy crap, what is this letter? I, I, I would get obsessed over just a couple of words trying to decide, did they say this? Did they say that? Go and look through other documents. Aha! They meant cows or, <laughs> you know, whatever. Yeah, it was, it, it really, I'm very excited to bring this to you guys um, this week. And I also wanted to say that like Ancestry.com and Newspapers.com, you know, if you ever want to sponsor us, because like <laughs> I used that so much for the research for this one. <laughs> And the both of us, I mean, we went through over the last uh, couple of months, we've been uh, wanting to make sure that we provide extra to the small papers and stuff out there. I've gotten, uh, we've both gotten ourselves like different um, subscriptions to like mm-hmm. the Peoria Journal Star and Quad other. City Times, yeah. yeah. And there was another one that was in, uh, I think, it wasn't Pekin. I can't remember. Yeah. But anyhow, we. I'd have to go back and look at my own set of resources, which I don't have in front of me right now. Bad me. <laughs> Um, bad Tara, but we, we do want to sponsor those smaller community yeah. papers and keep, 
keep journalism alive. Keep yes. this the resources and knowledge are so important it because really is. we talk about you know you hear it's kind of become almost um, bad to hear do your own research because yeah there are those who just are not not paying attention to those mm-hmm. who are in the positions and have that knowledge and want to spread the truth. Mm-hmm. We want to keep the truth out there. We do our best with gathering what we know to be true as well as, you know, newspapers, there's going to be stuff that is one person's opinion over another. Right. Um, and usually good journalism, they will say that. So, which is pretty awesome. And I did find like, um, as I was doing the research for this, I, I saw a lot of articles online about this, this particular case. And in doing the research, there's a lot of details that, were just wrong or missing and yeah and it was great to to go through the newspapers and actually find some of the real the details and the court documents and find the truth and you know the real source oh where is the source of this piece because of course you're gonna have people especially we're talking 1905 right so this was so-and-so's opinion about what happened and this is what so-and-so saw and okay so you recognize that source and then you Mm -hmm. go through and get the court documents and you find, oh, and some of it, how much is something worth? I learned something that I already knew. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to assessing the value of something, yeah. It, it, it's, yeah <laughs> assessors have their own opinions, and they vary greatly. Yeah, and and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that at the end. Um, so I guess we'll go ahead and get into this. Sure, why don't we? So... We're bringing you a special spooky episode from Weatherfield, Weatherford, Weather, I Okay, the problem is we went to school and went, yes, in Weathersfield. And so now I've got to say Weatherford and it's so close. And it wasn't intentional to be so close because we were looking for spooky name towns and we came across Dead Woman Crossing. And I mean... Why not? Why not? If we're women <laughs> yes. and uh, learning about a person who has died, it sounds like right up our alley, right? Yes. So we're going to take you back to July 6th of 1905. Long time ago. <laughs> um, 29-year-old Katie James is traveling to visit a relative with her 14-month-old baby, Lulu Blanche. Along the way, she meets 33-year-old Fanny Norton. They start talking. Katie is a teacher who recently filed divorce from her husband. Crazy, back in 1900. Yeah. Very progressive. Um, Fanny just separated from her husband. Also a progressive. Katie and Fanny become new friends. Um, Fanny is stopping in Weathersfield. There we go. Weatherford. Weatherford. Weatherford, Oklahoma overnight. (laughs) This is going to be hilarious, isn't it? This is. We're going to, yeah, forgive us. It's just, it is. Okay. Um, So, anyhow, Fanny convinces Katie to stay with her for the evening. And they go to this house of Mrs. Moore. I'm guessing she runs some sort of like boarding house or something. Boarding houses for ladies. Yeah. So Fanny introduces Katie as Mrs. Smith. We don't, we never really get to the bottom of why they lie about her identity. It's just odd. Maybe it's, maybe she was, this is back to that whole, maybe she was running from her husband. Yeah. That she's filed for a divorce from. Don't really know the whole situation. Um, But... 
Fanny tells Mrs. Moore that Katie has no means to pay. So Katie and her baby stay at Mrs. Moore's home without having to pay anything. And then they also have a meal. And then the next morning, Fanny orders a team. We're guessing a team of horses in a, yeah. like a carriage um, from a liver, library. Livery. Livery. Sorry. We, Livery. we only chatted yeah. back and forth via electronic means, not via voice. Yes. Yeah. Livery. Livery. Okay. And a team would be for a team of horses. Yeah. Horses for a buggy. So they're going to take a short drive in the country to go to another town that was close by. I apparently Hydro? forgot to. Hydro. That's it. Yep. Um. So, and yeah, Hydro is about eight miles away and Fanny persuades Katie to accompany her. So they drive about six miles out of town to Deer Creek. The women are seen by some local farmers on their drive. Not long after Deer Creek, Fanny is seen with a baby. The carriage is moving fast, but Katie isn't there. So in case you aren't following all this, Katie is the mama. Mm -hmm. Fanny is the older lady who is making up all these stories mrs smith and what have you so right now katie is missing and fanny has katie's child and driving really really fast so a couple of miles from town a young boy is handed a baby by a woman who says she needs his mother to look after her baby she says she has to run to town and she will return the woman rushes off the baby is unharmed but it's wrapped in clothing that is covered in blood. So Mrs. Norton, or Fanny, she returns to the carriage to the livery, and then she quickly leaves town. Um, a few days later, Mr. Henry Dewitt, who is Katie's father, he gets worried about her because he's really close with his daughter, and she's not, she usually, like, will write him and like say. Like And the mail yeah. was different back then. I mean, you've got. It was like when I was in England, if you've ever read like Agatha Christie books and stuff like that, they'll talk about the, the, the like nine o'clock mail, the noon mail, whatever. So it was really common to have small pieces of mail and get them, uh, if not daily, more often. Mm -hmm. So he hasn't heard from her and he's really starting to worry. So he ends up hiring Sam Bartell. So this was a, if you may have even heard of him, he is a U.S. Marshal. Um, and he became a private investigator. So after some investigation, Mr. Bartell finds Fanny on July 28, 1905 in Shawnee, and she's at the home of a Mr. Putty. Um, she was small and dressed in poor clothing, and she was very nervous when arrested. So we're talking three weeks later, Mr. Mm -hmm. Bartell finally finds her, or 22 days. So this is... So Fanny, again, is the, the woman who uh, was with Katie when the older woman, yeah. So um, just making sure we're keeping people straight because here. Because we're all into this, <laughs> but we don't, we want to make sure we're giving you all the information. Right. So Fanny claims that she and Katie left Weathers. There we go again. Weatherford. <laughs> this is going to kill me. I love is, it. Yeah. Weatherford and had driven two and a half miles into the country when they met a team and Katie had her grip, which in research. That's like a, a, a servant or no, the grip. Oh, you're talking about her. Suitcase. Yeah, her suitcase. Yes. yes. Um, that's kind of what I had. Right, right, right. Yeah. You're um, right. You're right. I was wrong. 
And um, so Katie and the baby were moved to another wagon, given, giving Fanny $5 for her trouble and the rig. Based on searching, again, the grip was referencing a suitcase. Um, Fanny said she knew nothing of the missing child and described a man who was in the other wagon. At 1.45 p.m., Fanny was observed vomiting and her head had fallen on her breast. It sounds like she lost consciousness. Um, examination of Fanny by Dr. Hamilton, Scott, and Grayson determined she had either taken morphine or cocaine and death was certain. She passed away at 2.35 p.m. Uh, Mr. Bartell requested that Coroner Fleming hold her body until he could have the family who had the baby identify her. And they don't know how Fanny got this poison. Um, that's kind of a mystery. Yeah, we've talked about, I mean, I don't know how many of you guys have seen like all the cool old jewelry. I might be a little bit of a jewelry buff. I used to make, I, I still make jewelry sometimes. I'm a member of a lapidary guild. But you can see a lot of cool old jewelry with like the little potion um, mm -hmm. box that opens on your ring or maybe a locket or maybe she had it in a little pouch sewn into her dress because that was another way people squirreled away things they that they held in high esteem or they didn't want people to rob them of mm -hmm. as they would actually sew it into their clothing. So you really wonder. Yeah. One, this was kind of a thing back then though. Cocaine, actually Coca-Cola right. used to have cocaine in it. Um, if you watch, uh, you know, Robert Downey Jr. does a good job of looking like he's quite stoned <laughs> on opiates in Sherlock Holmes because that, you know, those things were a lot, doping and stuff like that was more common. Yeah. And more commonplace and easier to get a hold of. So, I don't know. It's interesting. It is. And we'll probably never know how she had the poison, but it's just one of those things of this story that's kind of interesting. Um, Katie was found around August 31st, 1905. Her clothing was intact. Her remains were mostly skeletal. Uh, she was still wearing her gold wedding band. Um, her head was found upright and a few feet from her body. And the back of her head behind her right ear was a bullet hole from a 38 caliber leaden bullet. Sorry. Uh, with in three feet of the body was a 38 caliber gun. It had one empty chamber and one loaded cartridge. The gun was identified as belonging to Fanny. So we know it was her gun. It was her gun. She, she killed was... herself. Yeah. And she was the last one to be seen with her. Yeah. So, I mean, basically it would be really interesting what would have happened if she hadn't killed herself. Yeah. You just really want to know it, you know, was there anybody else involved? Mm -hmm. That whole thing with the charade of this is Mrs. Smith and she has no money. And mm -hmm. the woman of the boarding house. Um, oh, yeah, there later, was a thing. Yeah, there was saying... a thing that she said she saw she had like $10 or something. Right. In 1905. That's like having a couple hundred, right? Right. So she definitely was not without money. And so this the whole thing just sounds a and little. I want to know why she played along. Because it yeah. does, again, a lot of the stuff we found, it really does seem like. Um, even though back in the day, somebody who's going to get a divorce is definitely looked down upon. Yeah. She seemed like a really upstanding citizen. And we yep. see more and more in here that it looks like her father really cared. Yes. Whether it's because, I mean, again, uh, 
1905, women were really looked at as possessions. Right. But it seemed, you know, she, there's a lot we'll, of things. We'll in go here. into a few things shortly right. where we, I mean, she was pretty progressive as far as people go. All right. So for our fun fact this week, we're going to do some Halloween fun facts. <laughs> okay. That was bad. I know. <laughs> So, taken from USA Today's Tembest article, Jack-o'-lantern comes from the Irish legend of Stingy Jack. Legend has it that Stingy Jack invited the devil to have a drink with him, but Jack didn't want to pay for the drink, so he convinced the devil to turn himself into a coin. Instead of buying the drink, he pocketed the coin and kept it close to a silver cross in his house, preventing the devil from taking shape again. He promised to let the devil go as long as he would leave Jack alone for a year, and that if Jack died, the devil wouldn't claim his soul. After a year, Jack tricked the devil again to leave him alone and not claim his soul. When Jack died, God didn't want such a conniving person in heaven, and the devil, true to his word, would not allow him into hell. Jack was sent off into the night with only a burning coal light to light his path. He placed the coal inside a carved out turnip and had been roaming the earth ever since. People in Ireland and Scotland began creating their own creations of Jack's lanterns out of turnips, beets, and potatoes. The tradition of traveled to the United States along with the immigrants and people began to use pumpkins native to North America for the lanterns instead. So when you carve that pumpkin... Put a piece of burning coal in it instead. <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm a dork. So, back to Dead Woman Crossing. Um, Katie was born on August 29th of 1874. Her father is Henry DeWitt, and her mother is Lucy DeWitt. Um, we couldn't find a lot on Lucy, uh, just that they were married, and Mr. DeWitt is listed as widowed in the 1900 census. Um, Katie DeWitt and Martin Luther James were married on January 31st, 1901. Uh, Katie was a teacher, Martin was a farmer, and they had a daughter, Blanche James, on May 14th, 1904. Um, all of the recent, um, things I saw online, they kept re referring to her as Lulu Bell, but in court documents, she is Lulu Blanche or Luli Blanche. And the gravestone says Blanche James. Um, unfortunately, Katie's daughter died when she was only eight years old. Yeah, And the names, you just wonder, it was probably just nicknames or what have you. Right. Um, maybe back then they didn't require everything in the court documents to be her given name. And the given name was Blanche. Mm -hmm. That's what's on her headstone. I don't know. Lots of things we could go with there. Yeah, we're not really, we're not really sure, but... Um, just interesting facts that we found about Katie. Um, so Oklahoma at that time really seemed pretty progressive when it came to women's rights. Um, three, throughout the 1880s, the pressure mounted for opening of Indian territory lands to white settlement. Which is cringe on its own, on its own face, but also yeah. again, we are talking the 1880s and that was... The fact that they opened it up to other than just men, that tells you just how much the white man really wanted to 
screw over the Indians. Yeah. But it did lead to some women's rights, if you will. Um, so a single woman over 21 years of age was eligible for a homestead and a town lot. Uh, placing daughters and widows into the competitions was a way of expanding a family's land holdings. Thus, a single woman could obtain a home in which to raise her children, or a young girl could obtain a significant dowry. Um, women land seekers range in age from 21 to the late 70s, with most in their 20s. Uh, 14 single black women staked claims in the original 1889 opening, and many more came later to build numerous all-black towns of Oklahoma. So Oklahoma was really pretty progressive. <laughs> I mean... I mean, okay, they stepped on the Indians, but they sure did give um, rights to people that other areas of the country really didn't have rights. Yeah. Blacks and women really did not have rights in a 1905. Right. And so... I found it very interesting that in 1903, there was an advertisement in the Jefferson Re Review for sale. 12 lots, two-room house, fruit trees, barn, and chicken house. Um, inquirer of owner, Mrs. Katie James. So Katie owned the of quite a bit of land. She actually owned all the land that her and her husband were living on. Um and not really finding anything about Martin owning any land. So And he was the one who's designated as the farmer. So Right. Can we just call him a gold digger right now? It <laughs> <laughs> really seemed that way. I mean, she she was definitely the one who who had the, had land. the land. Yeah. So and as you know, she died obviously of murder since she had a bullet hole mm -hmm. in her head. And at the time that she died, she owned property, cows, a horse, an organ, a sewing machine, and a, a guitar and an old buggy. We go into the property a little later when yeah. we really get into the arguments over settling her estate. Um, so just a few more facts. Again, you know, throughout this whole thing, um, her father had hired that U.S. Marshal Sam Bartel to investigate her disappearance. So a Mr. Cornell is actually the person who found Katie's body. Um, Katie was buried in Weatherford <laughs> Cemetery. <laughs> Sorry. Uh <laughs> we will get over ourselves eventually, <laughs> but it's just too telling that we go to look for a good Halloween-y type thing and we end up with a town that almost sounds like Weathersfield, and then Shawnee as being where they found um, uh, the uh, other lady. Right, which um, is Wani. so close to Kiwani. Yeah. yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's funny. But... Interesting parallels for us. Yes. Um, so Katie's father actually paid for the search for her. He paid the reward money to Mr. Cornell, and he paid for her burial. So... If, you know, I mean, we know that her and her husband were going through a separation that the, she had filed for a divorce, but the fact that her father is the one who paid for all that. And took so much interest in her. I mean, yeah. back in those times, the I mean, a daughter, unless, I mean, we couldn't find any other children. No, she was the so only one. he definitely doted on her that she was the one who owned land. She was, I don't know, it just, it just is very telling. Her... Well, her widowed 
husband, he just didn't seem to be all that interested. No, he, I mean, it doesn't mention him at all in most of the articles we read. It yeah, was it just... wasn't until we got to looking through um, the ancestry stuff we found yes. on settling her estate that he comes up a lot because initially, just a little preview here, dad tried to be the executor of her estate to start. Yeah. And then he pushed in and and asserted his rights as uh the the husband then. Mhm. Yeah. So we'll we'll talk a little bit more about this in a little bit. Okay, so fun fact number 2. Candy corn was originally called chicken feed. Though many would argue that candy corn tastes nothing like chicken feed, that's not how it got its original name. So I wonder if this actually did say that it tastes like chicken feed. Yeah, I, I'm is not it because sure. chicken feed tastes like crap? I don't, I don't know. Have you eaten chicken feed? I have not eaten chicken feed. Uh, no. And candy corn is definitely not my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I know people that love it. It seems like you either love it or hate it. Yeah. But anyhow, um, so it was created in the 1880s by George Renninger. Um, it was sold to the masses by Golitz Confectionery Company, now Jelly, Jelly Belly, Belly, at the turn of the century. Because corn is what was used to feed the ki- chickens, the creation was called Chicken Feed, and the box was marked with a colorful rooster. I'm sitting here thinking, um, yeah, it might look like corn, but sure as heck doesn't taste like corn. I, yeah, no. Even, I, I mean, I remember as a kid actually trying to eat like a piece of corn off of like a dried corn husk. Yeah, it didn't work. There's a things called teeth that just aren't made to... <laughs> <laughs> Human teeth aren't made to crunch down on dried yeah. feed corn. No. So if it, if they meant that it tastes like chicken feed, it surely does not. No. <laughs> so on to more Dead Women Crossing. So now I'm just going to share some information that we found in various newspapers. So this is Shawnee News, August 31st, 1905. Mrs. James disappeared with Fanny Norton on July 7th, 1905. Body was found five miles east of Weatherford, Oklahoma. July 7th, Mrs. Norton and Mrs. James rented a rig from a livery. Mrs. Norton returned to the, the rig alone. July 24th, daughter was found in the home of a German family. This is the baby girl that they're talking about and by german yeah it's like pennsylvania dutch this is the oklahoma dutch dutch being actually german because let's see the word for german in german is deutsch so on july 7th a woman matching the description of mrs norton left the baby with the family's son she stated that she needed them to watch the child for a few hours and she would be back she did not return the boy watched her drive away she stopped and threw away a bundle, which was clothing the baby was soaked had that was soaked in blood. The baby was not hurt. Now, this kind of varies. That's one thing where I saw, like, the bundle was thrown away. The child was still wearing the clothing. Not really sure what the truth was in that. But in any case, there was baby's clothes soaked in blood, and obviously the baby was not hurt. Um, so Mrs. Norton... That's Fanny. Her husband was a hack driver in Clinton, o- Oklahoma. Uh, she was found in the home of Mr. Putty and, when she was arrested. 
And that was in Shawnee. Mm-hmm. Uh, she claimed that they had met a man and two women in a covered wagon. Um, Mrs. James, her belongings and the baby were transferred to the wagon, and Mrs. Norton was paid $5 for her troubles, and she left. She claimed she had gone to Shawnee to get work because of the state of affairs of her husband's business. Um, she mysteriously died from poison. It's unknown how she got the poison since she was closely watched from the time of her arrest. Both Sam Bartell and Mr. DeWitt talked to her, trying to get a confession from her. They did not get one. After the arrest, a large search for Mrs. James occurred with no results. Mr. DeWitt offered a $500 reward for the finding of Mrs. James, his daughter. Uh, Governor Ferguson also added a $300 reward. Um, One farmer and his family saw Mrs. James, her baby, and Mrs. Norton on the morning of July 7th driving through their pasture. About 45 minutes later, they saw Mrs. Norton and the baby driving back at breakneck speed. Uh, nothing was found in the pasture except for clothing, glasses, and a grip belonging to Mrs. James. Uh, two days before her appearance, Mrs. James filed for divorce from her husband, a prosperous farmer. Uh, I don't know about no, that. that. Uh, she asked for custody of their child. Um the last paragraph kind of talks about other parties maybe being involved and expected to make arrests, although no other arrests were ever made. It was just Fanny, um, and she was really, or it, everything was determined that she was the one who was uh, the murderer. It does make you wonder, though, since they said they were expecting other arrests, if they had just enough information from her. And this is, we keep going back and forth over was her husband involved? Yeah. I mean, let's... she left him two days previous. She was okay with somebody lying about her name at a boarding house. Mm-hmm. Um, she owned the land that they lived on. She and owned the house. Yep. So he appeared to be this prosperous farmer. But it was actually her who had everything. Um, so it's just, yeah. And, you know, Fanny. Now, there were rumors, although I did not see anything actually stating this, but there were rumors that she was a prostitute. Um, But, you know, women who were, again, not, you lost your status quickly if you were not married. You were somehow unattached. And especially if you didn't have, I mean, she wasn't a landholder. There was a lot of stake put on landholders. And she was actually on her third marriage. (laughs) So... Yeah, she was all, yeah. Yeah, that kind of, in that time, that was not really, um, I I think, smiled upon being right. a divorced wife. Well, it's one thing and... to be um, thrice married if her husband's had passed away. Right. <laughs> but, yeah, so it's just one of those things where she, you know, we don't know. Maybe she and uh, Katie's husband had. Were in cahoots. Yeah. Or had a relationship or, you know, you just don't know. Um, obviously, we we can speculate, but <laughs> we don't know. Um, so from the Galveston Daily, July 29th, 1905, uh, it says the headline is Death from Cocaine. Mrs. Norton was implicated in Mrs. James's disappearance. Shawnee, Oklahoma, July 28th. 1126 East 10th Street, Shawnee. Um, that's where she was found. 
killed herself by swallowing cocaine while in city jail. Then Shawnee News, July 27, 1905. July 6th, Mrs. James filed for divorce. She's living on a claim that belonged to Mrs. James. Left home on the 6th with her daughter to visit her sister in Ripley. I also found something about a cousin. So we're not even sure who sister, she was visiting. Cousin. Yeah. And uh, I didn't see anything about any siblings of Katie's. And so it, it makes you wonder. I mean, even nowadays in some cultures, a cousin could be called a sister. Well, heck, I call you my true. sister. So that is very true. Um, Mr. DeWitt started searching for her after not hearing from his daughter for a few days. The people who had the baby showed Mr. Bartell the clothing at war, covered in blood. The baby was in good health. The description of the woman who left the baby matched Mrs. Norton. Mrs. Norton found in gentleman's home in Shawnee. She was small and dressed in poor clothing, and she was very nervous when arrested. Um... This one says July 8th, she and Mrs. James left Weatherford and had driven two and a half miles into the country when they met a team. Um, some other articles said July 7th, so we're not right. really sure the days here. But And meeting a team, I mean, they said in the one that it was like a Conestoga-type wagon, so mm-hmm. yeah, a team of horses yeah. pulling some form of wagon. This one, again, said Mrs. Norton was given $5 for her trouble on the rig. Um, Talks about the grip. Um, Mrs. Norton said she knew nothing of the missing child and described a man who was in the other wagon at 145. Mrs. Norton was observed vomiting. So this is kind of the one that I talked about earlier where she's um, being examined and then she passes away at 2.35 p.m. Um, They had asked the coroner to hold her body until the family who had the baby could identify her and we do not know how mrs norton was poisoned um shawnee news august 26 1905 search for mrs james continues was on hold for two weeks but about to begin again total reward of eight hundred dollars five hundred from mr dewitt and three hundred from governor ferguson is one of the most mysterious cases officers have have ever had to deal with. Um, the Mountain View Republic, August 17, 1905. A reward of $300 has been offered by Governor Ferguson for arrest and conviction of a person or persons who murdered Mrs. Katie James. One of the most mysterious in the history of crime in Oklahoma. Mrs. Fanny Norton was arrested in Shawnee a short while later found dead in her cell. Some believe her act to be a confession of guilt. Right. So this is going back and just looking at the whole, you know, this mystery around this. She talks about this other team. Mm -hmm. So you, I mean, that kind of brings that other angle of maybe, again, she had just, uh, going back to Katie, had just filed for divorce. Maybe this was her way to try to cover her tracks so her husband couldn't find her. Mm-hmm. Or it's all made up and this was collusion with her husband to get back at her. I don't know. That's yeah. Just, there's You wonder. There's some mystery in here. Definitely a lot of mystery. Um, it, it, it's, it was a fascinating case to read. It really Yeah, it You really, really do was. wonder when they talk about, you know, other people are going to be arrested if maybe they had. So fun fact number three. Trick-or-treating comes from souling. 
having children dress up in costumes and go door to door like little beggars demanding treats is kind of weird. Like several other Halloween activities, the tradition can be traced back to the Middle Ages and the rituals of Samhain. It was believed that phantoms walked the earth uh, on the night of Samhain. I swear. Yeah, who needs words? <laughs> That's my saying all the time. So people would dress up in costumes in effort to repel the spirits. Because if they can't identify you, then you can't be taken by Samhain. Yep. As the Catholic Church started supplanting, supplanting, thank you, pagan festivals with their own holidays like All Souls Day, the act of souling became popular, and poor children and adults would go door to door dressed as spirits accepting food in exchange for prayers. All right, that's one way. You know, the church really did basically go, okay, we need to rebrand this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> how, how do you be effective? Okay, this thing is very popular. How do I rebrand it to fit my needs? <laughs> Good job, church. Yes. I don't know if I exactly like yeah. what you did, but you did a good job. And, you know, Halloween is, it's my favorite ho holiday. In fact, Imagine I got that. married on it. Yeah, by... I don't know anything about that. By Miss Tara. <laughs> yeah, I only officiated it. It was a lot of fun. It was. Um, so back to Dead Woman Crossing. Uh, Oklahoma Weekly Leader, uh, Guthrie, Oklahoma, 7 September 1905. G.W. Cornell requested to receive the $300 reward for finding the body of Mrs. James. Governor Ferguson clarifies that the reward was for Finding the killer of Mrs. James, not her body. Cheapskate. Yeah. So, but we know she was found at least. Um, so, Custer County Republic, September 7th, 1905. This is the one, the article that I kind of found the most interesting because it goes into an actual case that was held. And I couldn't find the actual case documents, but... Um, this kind of goes into the actual like case of of the jury determining what happened to Mrs. James. Right, because they they basically held a a session with you know a jury and said, okay, given these facts, how did she die? What was and who was at fault? Right. So. Um, Custer County Republic, September seventh, nineteen o five. Jury decides Mrs. James was shot by Mrs. Norton. Mr. G.W. Cornell found the body of Mrs. James. It was a case of misplaced confidence on the part of Mrs. James, who was in trouble with her husband, from whom she had separated with since July 1st on account of his cruelty, as shown by her petition for divorce. So they maybe didn't have the best relationship. Right. Um, at the time, she met Mrs. Norton, alias Mrs. Ham. So that was what actually one of her divorce names, I believe. And uh, she was on her way to visit friends in the eastern part of the territory. And by chance, while waiting at the Washita Junction for a train, met Mrs. Norton, who was also having trouble with her husband to the extent of a recent separation. So this is, again, how Katie and Fanny met was at a train station and... Became up a conversation and became friends. And it's interesting. Here they say friends. Yeah. She's going to visit friends. Not a sister. Not a cousin. Right. 
Who knows? Let's just roll through all the Yeah. She was traveling somewhere to meet somebody. That's, yeah. yeah and you do. wonder, it's like, did, yeah, was there, you know, the U.S. has never been as timely as Europe or any other country, really, for trains. Right. So you wonder if this was, okay, my train isn't coming. I really want to get out of here because my husband's probably following me. Mm-hmm. Let's find another route. And oh, here's you... this woman. She, we kind of. Or did she intercept mm-hmm. her because she was in collusion with her husband? Sorry. I oh, yeah. really both think her, her husband had so he, much to do with this. It just. Oh no, it just points that direction. <laughs> but um so for some reason they both stopped off at this city and stayed overnight at Mrs. Moore's home, both slept in the same bed, and at the solicitation of Mrs. Norton, no charge was made by Mrs. Moore for the meals and lodging of Mrs. James. Mrs. Norton introduced her as Mrs. Smith and stated that she had no means with which to pay her lodging and meals. While they were there, Mrs. James exhibited her pocketbook in the buying or offering to buy some stationery from Mrs. Moore, in which there was about $23. The money was exhibited in the presence of Mrs. Norton. So there is... So there again, you wonder, because she said she had no means, and then here's $23, which... Right. Before I said 10, because I couldn't remember the amount. Yeah. That's a significant sum. It really is, especially back then, so... Yeah, when we get to talking about how much... uh, 100 acres is worth like 700 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the next morning, N- Mrs. Norton ordered a team from the livery sta- stable to take a short drive in the country, but told Mrs. James she was going to Hydro and persuaded Mrs. James to accompany her. They drove about six miles out of town to Deer Creek, where the murder occurred. And if we haven't been clear, Deer Creek is actually the location. This yes. is the location that is called... Dead Woman Crossing. Crossing. Yeah. So they, they after this, they started calling it Dead Woman Crossing. I don't think it's been, like, officially named that and I, that I could see, but everybody knows it is that. Right. So, uh, Mrs. James was found about 60 feet from a public road. Her clothing was intact. Her remains were mostly skeletal. She was still wearing her gold wedding ring. So that whole discussion of if it was a robbery, because we talked about yeah. the $23. I mean, why not take the gold ring? ring? I mean, if yeah. you took the 23 bucks, you'd think you'd take the ring, too. Right. Her head was found upright and a few feet from her body. So not sure if, like, animals moved it or what happened with the head. But basically, the head was detached. Um, in the back of her head, behind the right ear, was a bullet hole from a thirty-eight caliber leaden bullet. Within three feet of the body was a thirty-eight caliber gun. It had one empty and one loaded cartridge. The gun was identified as belonging to Mrs. Norton. The course of the buggy could be followed through the brush by the brush being barked over which it passed. Um, so it looks like, I guess in her haste to leave, she kind of trampled some of the brush and so they were able to tell like her ingress and egress yeah Uh, mrs james was evidently shot while in the buggy and instantly fell from it into the spot where the body was found there was blood on the wheel of the buggy and blood on the clothing of mrs james's daughter the child was found two and a half miles from town at the home of j.n beersheld beersheld okay (laughs) It's a German name. Like, you know German. You can say this. (laughs) 
The lap rope and carpet in the buggy were missing, but the blood on the wheel was not noticed until later. So she obviously tried to clean up afterwards, right. but didn't this successfully. This is why you don't shoot her in the buggy. Yeah. Well, you know. But. You make mistakes your first time out, right? <laughs> I'm guessing this was her first time I, out. Oh, there goes another little thought toy in my head. Who knows? Maybe <laughs> she killed somebody else. We don't know. We don't know. Uh, the baby was brought to the stable for identification. It was known that there was blood on the baby and on the carriage, but that didn't alarm anyone, and the whereabouts of Mrs. James were not questioned until her father became concerned when he hadn't heard from her. My, how things have changed in the last 100-plus years. Wow. I mean, I can't imagine, like... Even... Oh, there's a little blood. Yeah. The baby doesn't have nothing. his mom. Yeah. No big deal. No big deal. Um, she had written a letter while in Weatherford, but the letter was intercepted and never reached him. Now that one I was kind of curious about. Like, did she take it or did yeah. the, the lady at the house? Cause again, you don't know people. Right. I mean, we know people are curious little creatures and yeah. Want to read what other people have written. So is it, who took the letter? Where, why was it intercepted? <laughs> who was it in, intercepted by? Did they actually find the letter? What did the letter say? I don't know. Just interesting little tidbit. Um, so this is an account from the man who found her body, Mr. G.W. Cornell. The day I found the body, I had the matter in mind and had been inquiring in the farmers about the search made for it. I made a point to be on the lookout for it, but at the very moment I found it, I was looking for a place to tie my horses while I and my little boy stepped into the creek to fish. It was a pitiable sight in the view of the fact that I thought I had found the body of the murdered woman. The story of the crime was apparent. For fear, fear that the remains were under vigilance and that my discovery... He talks really weird. My <laughs> discovery of the same had been observed and that the body might be removed before the body could be turned over to the proper authorities. I th took the precaution to preserve the skull to show that a dead body had been found and that the hat to identify the same as it was a very peculiar one. I took the same to the town with me and reported to the coroner and I and others went back and guarded the body until... The arrival of the coroner. He took her head uh -huh. and drove it to town. Uh-huh. And that's kind of where you go, okay, so you? did he move the head? Was the head originally there? Was it, I mean, it's just. I mean, I, we just are going on the the statement of this guy who speaks very, very weird. <laughs> now, I mean, that might be what, I don't know. It, it, what did people talk about, talk like in 1905? I've True. read things from 1905, and this sounds curious. Yeah, it's just odd. And I was a little, I don't know, something about the, he had it in his mind and was inquiring about, I mean, is he, like, out searching for her? And I think that's what he's trying to state yeah. there. He just. It just comes off kind of weird, kind of yeah. creepy almost. I come up with, like, how the British call queer. Yeah. And then that, that, that oddity that you're just like. He had a very strange way of talking. Yeah. It just kind of keeps... makes you wonder about this Mr. Cornell. And... Okay. He seems a little odd. A little, little odd duck. 
Okay. And they did come up with believing that the motive was robbery. Yeah. Even though we talk about the fact that she still had her ring. We don't know if maybe her ring had something that was particular that would make it maybe. obvious. Yeah. Anyhow. Uh, the body was identified by the clothing, the hat, the comb in her hair, the hairpins, and the shoes to the full satisfaction of all who heard the testimony. So I'm again, still stuck here with that dang hat and the guy taking her head into the yeah, town. That's kind of creepy. And then, but you know, if you think about it, you know, if somebody's robbing her. Wouldn't like the comb maybe be worth something or the hairpins? I, I don't know. It just seems like robbery seems a really weird notion at this point, unless they just thought those things were so identifiable. Yeah, it's it's really hard to say. Um, so it says it is believed that the motive was robbery, even though we still question that. <laughs> um, the father testified about the trouble between his daughter and her husband. She is his only child. The father exhibited grief on the stand. Obviously, her dad loved her a lot, and he really, I think this really was hard for him. Where the husband showed no emotion. He had taken no part in the search for his wife. In today's uh, standards, (laughs) you know those detectives would be all over Oh, the yeah. husband. Because how does Provenza say it back in the closer? It's always the husband. It's always the mm-hmm. husband. It's always the husband. Should be the first one on the list that they were looking at. But nope, they didn't really investigate him at all from what we can see. Yeah, I don't know. It's just so many things make me. There's a reason we've been going on and on about it. Had to, We think there that the husband had a, a role. Yeah. I mean, it he just... could have just been an, a jerk abuser that didn't care that she left. But. From what I know of jerk abusers, they give a crap when their abused leaves them. And they usually, I mean, like, if you're, if you're not guilty, wouldn't you, I mean, have some emotion? Some, maybe? Maybe. A little bit? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. And this is also, you know, from the point of view of whoever wrote this paper, they may also have been really biased against the husband. Right. I mean, we can only speculate. We're just throwing it out there. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so fun fact number four. Most lit jack-o'-lanterns on display is 30,581. So according to the Guinness World Records, the highest number of lit jack-o'-lanterns on display is 30,581 by the city of Keene, New Hampshire in 2013. So, way to go, Keene. <laughs> I mean... I, you know, people like to see themselves in record books. Yeah, that Why is... Not? Maybe they were pumpkins. having some kind of cool celebration at the time, and they just, you know, small town trying to get themselves in the paper or, well, in the record book. I am curious about, like, 581 why what 30,581 why i had to get that extra one yeah it just (laughs) kind of an odd number but hey i want to know who counted all those things yeah (laughs) that sounds that's quite an absolute pain in the rear yep what do i know so back to the dead woman's crossing so, um, like we said, we found, well, Melissa found, and then I sat there and scratched through all sorts of cool documents regarding the resolution of Katie's estate. Yes. Um, the father and, and, and I look at it as the father and the husband are at odds. <laughs> so in, on November 4th, 
15th, sorry, of 1905, Katie's father attempted to establish himself as the executor. And that's when, all of a sudden, Martin Luther James, I'm, I'm presuming he would be um, Lutheran with that name, Martin Luther. Possibly. Anyhow, um, he was not going to have any of that. On December 14th, he contested um, Katie's father's attempt to be the executor. Um, all parties were in the court, Katie's father with his attorney, Mr. Webster, Mr. James with his attorneys, Black and Adams. Oh, so he got himself like the, I'm now like thinking of all these lovely commercials that we get for the <laughs> yeah, <laughs> ambulance chasers or what have you. So, um, they ended up doing two appraisals of Katie's estate. The first one, the property was worth $700, the chattel property. <laughs> Didn't I, you know? I've heard chattel before, and you think of it as like uh, such an old-fashioned word, and to actually see it in documents kind of just made me giggle. But her chattel property were five cows, um, valued at twelve dollars and fifty cents each, an eight-year-old mare, forty-five dollars, an old organ, five dollars. I wonder if it was like instead of an organ, organ. This was like a squeeze box. Hippie, hippie. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you'd think an organ organ would be maybe it's sizable worth a more. and worth a couple dollars. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, because the sewing machine was worth ten bucks. Yeah, a guitar worth three bug bucks, an old buggy worth five, which is a total of eight hundred thirty dollars and fifty cents. The second appraisal, the property was worth two thousand dollars. The chattel, they only talk about five cows worth $18 each. The organ worth $25 for a total of $2,115. So there's a lot, there was a lot of back and forth of individual documents. And it was, I think, actually one of the coolest things Mm -hmm. was seeing all the different pictures of here's the document, here's actually how it was wrapped up. Mm-hmm. And, and the the different little um, stamps of approval and when this was done. Because uh, there's tons of requests that were made. There, there's a lot of little um, individual uh, probate court decree, the final decree. They, they placed ads in the paper. And that's what mm-hmm. these dates had to do with. Like on November 15th, that's when um, her dad went in. Uh, placed his uh, stake to be the executor and they had to run like in four or six week ads mm-hmm. to say that uh, to make sure that they got the news out there to anybody who might have a claim against her estate so it it probate court hasn't actually changed that much because that's still kind of sort of a thing yeah but it was interesting to read them all because um i mean her dad uh so they finally uh, oh well, my takeaway from their little appraisals is Appraisers have never been consistent. <laughs> a difference, $830, $2,115. That That's is huge. a really big difference. <laughs> so, um, like I said, there's a public, there's bunch of publishers affidavits that the paper ran for so many weeks stating that Mr. James was the executive of the state so people could submit their claims for funds from the estate. Um, what I found really telling, her dad had made numerous requests of the state. Most of... Uh, of the estate, some rejected, most accepted, uh, some were rejected, some were accepted. And through looking through all of this, I found the difference between rejected and accepted seems to be that her ex or the the widow were 
mm-hmm. her husband rejected or accepted. And later he ended up having to pay these things because it was all pushed to the court. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he asked for the money that was paid to Sam Bartal and service for searching for uh, Katie. Um, that was $100. Hubby didn't want to pay that. Reward paid to Mr. Cornell for finding the body ended up actually being $80. That was rejected. Undertaker's bill for caring for the remains was allowed. That was $10. Cash paid for the burial lot, $10 allowed. Cash paid for digging the grave, $5 allowed. Cash paid for the livery and the funeral, so like the the carriage carrying her casket, $2.50 allowed. Cash paid for phone calls uh, trying to find the remains and get things going, $2.55. Rejected. (laughs) Um, Henry DeWitt's hotel bills, livery, expenses for trying to find Katie, $100. Rejected. Um, cash paid for the monument, $100. Rejected again. Cash paid for a doctor's bill, um, $40. And a nurse, $40. Those were accepted. Note against the deceased. Um, I'm not 100% sure what that means. Maybe she had something that was um, pending payment. Mm-hmm. That was rejected of $25. Cash paid at the deceased instance and requested $14. Also rejected. Cash paid out for lumber and shingles, $12 rejected. I'm guessing that's for the home she lived yeah, in. Yeah, I think um, her father had, like, apparently done some work to try and fix it up a little bit, maybe, before they were selling it. I don't know. I don't know. And fee furnished the cattle and horses, $50 rejected. Total of $591.05. Um, so, like I said, based on later affidavits, um, it looks like the, the accepted means that Mr. James paid them rejected he refused so on the 7th of april in 1907 mr james requested to sell the real estate assets in order to settle his debts he petitioned that the cash available from the estate was only 60 dollars, but they were outstanding debts debts of 400 dollars against the estate so that pushes back to that whole when i said what he rejected when he accepted what he hadn't yet paid dad was around 400 dollars. Mm-hmm. there you go um, he requested to put the property described as 100 acres. So that assessment of $700 or $2,000 was for 100 freaking acres. That is crazy. You know what an acre is? <laughs> it's the size of a football field without either goal, the end zone. So 100 of those. That's a lot of, that's a lot of land. That's a lot of land. And a lot of land for a woman to own back in yeah. that time. And, you know, she said she sold 12 lots. Mm-hmm. Were those city lots? Or were they external lots? Because, wow, right. that would be, a, she would be a really big landowner. Yeah. Um, and the house was considered to be, so uh, the, there was also a house on there that was 28 by 12. On April 11th, the court approved the sale of the uh, property, setting that it should be sold for cash. Or one-third cash up front with a mortgage secured for the remainder within two years. We buy houses today, and you're like, you have to have the mortgage before you move your butt in. Mm-hmm. But apparently, that was done a little differently back then. And it appears that the state forwarded him $1,500, which would come due at the time of settling the sale. It was really circuitously written, so it's kind of like, I almost wonder if the way Mr. Cornell spoke, just he thought he was speaking legal ease. Because be. the legalese that I had to read, read through to come to this decision was pretty circuitous. So, 
Anyhow, um, and the final probate court decree was on 6 June 1907, so apparently he sold the, the land. After the sale of the property, the final estate consisted of five head of cows appraised at $90, one organ, and a sewing machine, and $1,399 in cash. So it looks like if he had 60 minus 400 plus whatever he sold, he probably sold the house for about 15 almost two grand mm-hmm. the house and land so um he was ten, he was awarded half of the estate equaling six hundred and fifty four dollars and fifty five cents in cash the five head of cows and the sewing machine and luli blanche <laughs> was tentatively awarded the other half of the estate equaling seven hundred and fifty four dollars and fifty cents of cash and an organ so the daughter made out a little bit better than he did. Well, and... she didn't get the cows. Right. So I guess that's why they split it that way. Because that's an true. Old... Well, I don't know. How, how old was she here? She... Well, was here she was six. still a baby. So she was like. Um... Well, in 6 June. Because she was born. Wait. Was she born in 1904? Uh... Oh, boy. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> it's like, dang it. Go back and find. Um... So, yeah. It makes sense that the kid doesn't get the. Yeah, I mean, I think, well, at the time of death, she was only, like, 18 months or something. 14 months, yeah. So, I mean, she's she's still, yeah, she's just still a young. She's, really like, young. two, three, three years old at this point, I believe. So. Yeah, and then I just found a bunch of receipts that were printed in the name. 1904, 1904 was when she was born. born. So, so, yeah, so she's three, three years old. Yeah. Yeah, no, all there were, and there were just a bunch of receipts mm-hmm. after that. So, um, yeah, the different and the different amounts. And you really wonder at the end of it. So he got six hundred fifty-four dollars, and after that six hundred fifty-four dollars, he had then had to pay out money. Um, actually, the the these bunches of receipts they were all like pre-printed paper that were in the judge's name and from like 1906 so it was funny there was like scribbles over the six for the 1907 but he actually um martin luther james that's uh the husband of katie he received his 82 dollars for his administrator slash executor of the estate duties but after that so he started out with what was that 654 dollars so he got another 82 and then he had to pay a hundred dollars for attorney's fees, a hundred and seventy-eight dollars and fifty-five cents for judgment and costs. So yeah, he ended up um, and a couple more that I found that I don't have written out here. So you really do. I really wonder if at the end of the day, you know, Katie's father. We know he really cared for her and stuff, and I know he pushed really hard to find Katie. He then tried to be assigned executor. And then he submitted all those debts that he probably would have paid himself. I'm pretty sure he was a pretty big landholder, mm-hmm. but he just really wanted to stick it to his uh, his son-in-law, son-in-law, ex-son-in-law, whatever. And, yeah, you know, part of me likes to think that um, had his granddaughter grown up, that he would have kept all these findings for her because he was really trying to make sure that she was cared for. He wanted to be the executor. He wanted to take care of her. Mm -hmm. He was one who was trying to find her when she was missing. Right. Right. So, yeah, I just, that's what I'd really like to think because this just seems like a dad who loved his daughter. She came to an ill end and then the creepy, horrible 
Uh, sorry, we just really hate on the ex-husband, or he yeah. wasn't yet the ex, but but when you're you're going through a divorce, and all of a sudden the wife goes missing, within and his days, daughter within days, yeah, and he doesn't care, right? He doesn't try to find he, her at all. It's suspicious. And then let's say so she was three. Five years later, daughter's dead too. Yeah, that I and of course I couldn't find anything on the on her death, what caused it or anything. I mean, back then, kids died of yeah, any number of things. Yeah, it could be anything, but still, it just kind of makes you wonder. It really does. Totally. All right, so our last little fun fact, you know, normally we talk about, we talked a lot about all the little fun facts about Kiwani. We did go ahead and look for some fun facts about Weatherford, Oklahoma, whether you know this or not. It is on Route 66. So I found this little um, snippet. Cruise Route 66 and get your kicks in Weatherford. Blast off into Smithsonian quality exhibits at the Stafford Air and Space Museum, which chronicles the career of its namesake, Weatherford native and U.S. astronaut at Southwestern Oklahoma State University's annual February Jazz Festival. Feel the rhythm before stopping by the Weatherford Wind Energy Park featuring landmarked wind turbines that dot the I-40 landscape. <laughs> so, yeah, apparently that's an interesting little town. That uh, Thomas P. Stafford is from there. He is one of 24 men who went to the moon. He's an Air For- he was an Air Force test pilot, born September 17th of 1930, and is still with us, according to Wikipedia, 91 years old now. But yeah, so that's a nice little, it's a little town that's got some stuff to see. Actually, they had a pretty interesting little tourism page that I looked at. I was like, oh, this is nice. So, you know, if you're ever in the weather, weather, we're just never going to say this right. Every time we've said it right, it's just been like, if you could see us doing little dances, (laughs) being happy that we could say Weatherford and not Weathersfield. Yeah. (laughs) It seems um, like a good little town. And yeah. I mean, hey, they, they were progressive. Yes. Um, so we go back into the last little part of this story. Um, we were so just, we, uh, what can I say? We hate on her hubby. Yeah. Um, we wanted to find out how he lived out the rest of his life. Yes. So there's he, some cringe in here. Yeah, definite um, cringeworthy here. Uh, he remarried a 17-year-old at the age of 37. Ew. Yeah. That could be your daughter. This just, eh, I don't know. Um, he died in 1944, and his second wife died in 1973. Her name was Cynthia Ann Eli. Ely, probably. Ely. Yeah. Um, she, uh, so we kind of in searching it, it was interesting because his, um, obituary was, so he was actually buried in Council Bluffs, Iowa, which I found interesting. Yeah, there was this article about, hey, Council Bluffs man gets, you're like, wait, what? What? When did he live there? So we we both lived in Omaha, Nebraska, which is just across the bridge to Council <laughs> like, Bluffs. Council and... Bluffs. Okay. We know that place. Interesting. Um, but it mentions, you know, him dying, and it says that he died in Oregon, but that he had surviving children. It didn't talk about his wife. And I was yeah. kind of like, all right, so what's going on there? So kind of 
did a little digging, and in 1930, Martin was living in Irving Brown, Kansas, where Cynthia was living in White Cloud, Kansas. Martin had the two sons living with him, and Cynthia had a daughter living with her. So they were obviously separated at the time, and then in 1940, census says that Cynthia is living with a Mr. Kent and she actually married him later on after Martin's death we think and she actually mentions that she is a widow Widow. yeah and now he did die in 1944 so we're just like sitting here thinking they did the whole uh, I would presume he was Lutheran which is like Catholic light I grew up Lutheran so it it was really frowned upon to get married because I was so surprised that she had gotten to, that that uh Katie was looking to get divorced in 1905 mm-hmm. because I have my great uncle his mother had gotten a divorce and nobody talked about it it was like seriously you know don't mention that yes so I mean the the this whole story you know if you kind of think about it it's just um. You really wonder. You really wonder about the husband. And I think he just, he didn't like women. I mean, he yeah. his daughter didn't live with him anymore, and his wife didn't live with mm. him anymore in 1930. And it's not like they had been, it, that's not a huge amount of time after they got married. It's not, yeah. So it was, it was an interesting little, uh, little story there. Yeah. And it's just, you're like, hmm... So we wanted to throw this out to you guys. We do have a, a whole bunch of ideas for our future podcasts. We are already going straight down the the rabbit hole and doing a lot of research on some other topics of interest for us. But we thought, what about you guys? Do you live in a small town or have lived in a small town? Do you know about a murder or a disappearance or Anything other really mystery? Interesting. That yeah, that you'd like us to do some research into and cover it? Yeah, let us know. Um, you know, you can always contact us on our Gmail, which is nothing happens in a small town at gmail.com or Instagram. Uh, our profile is nothing happens, happens in, in a small, small town. town. Twitter, nothing, nothing happens, happens in a small town at N H I A S T. What are those standing for? <laughs> nothing hmm, happens, happens in a small, small town. town. Our Facebook page, which is Nothing, Nothing Happens in a Small Town, or at NHIAST 2021. So feel free to reach out to us. You know, let us know what you'd be interested in hearing about. And we're going to probably do some sort of um, special listener episode in the future. So yep. maybe it'll be your town. Mm. Mm. And so thank you for listening to Nothing, Nothing Happens, Happens in, in a, a Small town, town, where things do happen and small towns are not the quiet, quaint places you think they are. See you next time. Bye. Happy Halloween. <laughs>